Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who hasn't heard the story or even had it uh, done to them when they were getting initiated, raised, or passed, where there was some comment about a goat. So the big question is, where on earth did that come from? There's all kinds of articles, there's all kinds of stories, but, you know, let's start with a story here, or with an article that is from the July-August 2005 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry called Mysteries of the Lodge Goat Revealed. Almost like one of those exposés. The myth behind riding the goat is based on some superstition and some good-natured teasing. This is written by Heather K. Calloway, Director of Internships and Coordinator of Library Museum Services, Supreme Council, 33rd Degree. It happened to me, and it may have happened to you. As the neophyte in a group where you teased that you might have to meet ride, or feed their goat to become an official member, that goat likely had a name, as did the one at my own college sorority, who was named Harvey. More common are the names Bill and Billy, but whatever its name, you probably wondered whence this curious tradition arose. Animals are prominent characters in myths, fairy tales, folklore, and legends, and are oftentimes the objects which fill our imaginations with superstitious fears. But why a goat? A goat is simply the common name for a ruminant, cloven-hoofed, horned animals. The female is known as a doe, often called a goat or nanny goat, while the male is called a buck or billy goat. The babies are referred to as kids. There are many breeds of goats, including dairy goats, such as the alpine or Nubian, meat goats, the boar or Spanish, miniature goats, which are pygmies, and fiber goats, the ones most women prefer, Angora, known for their long and silky hair called mohair and cashmere, the source of fine wool cashmere. Goats are found throughout classical literature. The Greeks portrayed Pan as a half-human god born with goat legs, hooves, horns, and a furry upper body. Teased by the other gods for a strange appearance, he left Mount Olympus and moved to Arcadia. Goats are also found in early religious texts. The Hebrew goat is rendered as satyr in Isaiah 13.21 and 34.14. And the Old Testament has numerous other references to goats as offerings, food, and pastoral wealth, since they provided meat, milk, and their hides were used for clothing and curtains. Leviticus mentions goats in various contexts, the most important of which gives us the scapegoat. See Leviticus 16.6. In Ezekiel, the goat represents the oppressors and wicked men. Ezekiel 34.12 and 39.18. Biblical literature also mentions the goat used as an offering and as an object of worship of false gods. Rejecting pagan imagery, early Christians attributed Pan's goat-like features to demonic characters. In the Middle Ages, the devil even appeared riding on a goat. And today, it's hardly a compliment to call someone a goat, but if you do, don't say it in Spanish. Even the greatest baseball team in history 
the Chicago Cubs, okay, so they're my favorite team, have a legend about a billy goat curse. As the story goes, Billy Cianis used to bring a billy goat to Wrigley Field to goad opposing teams. In the 1945 series with Detroit, P.K. Wrigley, the Cubs owner, wanted the billy goat out of the stadium because it smelled bad. Legend has it that Cianis got mad and prophesied there would never be a World Series played at Wrigley Field again. Unfortunately for Cubs fans, the curse has remained true. And remember, this was written in 2005. Separating the sheep from the goats. So how did these creatures become the butt of jokes and a way to tease new initiates during their experience? Anti-Masonic literature has had a field day using goats and goat images, including the infamous Baphomet, allegedly a Masonic symbol and secret of the initiation ceremonies. Baphomet was said to be the idol which Jacques de Molay was accused of worshipping. According to Mackenzie's Royal Masonic Cyclopedia, 1877, the word Baphomet is allegedly an abbreviated cipher of the words Templi Omnium Hominum Passus Abbas, the father of the temple, the universal peace of men, thus conveying in a phrase an appropriate and universal sentiment of a Masonic nature. Baphomet reappears in the infamous hoax by Leo Taxil in the Mysteries of Freemasonry, 1887, Taxil's hoax has been humorously and adequately exposed by brothers De Hoyos and Morris in their book, Is It True What They Say About Freemasonry? 3rd edition, 2004. Anti-Masonic literature commonly includes sketches and engravings with wild depictions of initiations, such as those in Freemasonry Exposed, 1871. This particular volume has a comical account in which a wife demanded to know what went on at the lodge. After regularly arguing about it, her husband... Mr. Bricktop finally consented to tell his wife, Emily Jane, the secrets of Freemasonry. All that was experienced during the initiation ceremonies was shared. As the story unfolds, the wild narrative of ongoings at the lodge grew and grew, including one famous ride on the goat during the fellow calf degree. After all the husband's trouble to expose and explain the secrets of masonry, the story ends with the wife knowing that her husband had been fibbing all along. One of the most well-liked books written about lodges, fraternal groups, and goats was The Lodge Goat and Goat Rides, Butts and Goat Hairs, gathered from the lodge rooms of every fraternal order in 1902, compiled and edited by James Pettibone. The title page reads, A little nonsense now and then is relished by the best of men. Its humor befits the period during which it was written. However, as it is neither politically correct nor sensitive by today's standards, Billy the Goat, opens the book claiming that the goat is simply around to provide mirth and entertainment. One story recalls a candidate who even provided his own goat for initiation. I believe that the rumor of having a goat at a ceremony can even be traced to the fraternal organizations themselves. A 1915 ritual of the modern woodmen of the world has a list of all the articles used in the exemplification of the ritual. The list included 20 items such as a campfire, wigs, beards, uniforms, wine glasses, and a truck chair. Item number 20 on the list was indeed, you guessed it, a goat. Kind of makes you glad they didn't pick a lion, doesn't it? The following is from the same issue of Scottish Rite Journal, and is called When Father Rode the Goat. This anonymous poem appeared in James Pettibone's The Lodge Goat and Goat Rides in 1902, pages 45 and 46, and is an amusing example of popular conceptions of fraternal initiation ceremonies. The house is full of arnica, the mystery profound. 
we do not dare to run about or make the slightest sound. We leave the big piano shut and do not strike a note. The doctor's been here seven times since father rode the goat. He joined the lodge a week ago, got in at 4 a.m., and 16 brethren brought him home, though he says he brought them. His wrist was sprained and one big rip had rent his Sunday coat. There must have been a lively time when father rode the goat. He's resting on the couch today and practicing his signs, the hailing sign, working grip, and other monkey shines. He mutters passwords neath his breath and other things he'll quote. They surely had an evening's work when father rode the goat. He has a gorgeous uniform, all gold and red and blue, a hat with plumes and yellow braid, and golden badges too. A sword of finest tempered steel, hilt set with precious stones. He says this paraphernalia all came from pettibones. This goat he leads what Teddy calls a very strenuous life, makes trouble for such candidates as tackle him with strife. But somehow when we mention it, Paul wears a look so grim. We wonder if he rode the goat, or if the goat rode him. And since the theme of this issue seems to be about goats, let's stay with the same issue and go to the next article, which is bucking goats and lung testers. In the closing years of the 19th century, the United States was emerging as a world power. The Spanish-American War proved our willingness to fight outside the boundaries of our nation. It was an era of inventions such as the telephone and electric lights, and the automobile began surfacing in rural America. And the American man entered a stage now referred to as male bonding. This was the golden age of fraternal lodges. In today's society, we are familiar with organizations like the Masons, Junior Chamber of Commerce, JCs, Kiwanis, Optimists, and Lions. In the 15 years prior to World War I, there were countless fraternal groups, such as the Modern Woodmen of America, the Knights of the Maccabees, the Knights of Pythias, and the Improved Order of Redmen. Secretive to an extent, even their names had a mystic sound. Why were they so popular, and why did hundreds of thousands of American men belong to, in some cases, three or four of them at a time? Fraternal orders were not a new concept in America, as the Freemasons and the Oddfellows could trace their origins to 18th century England. The Order of Hibernians was founded in 1836, the Knights of Pythias in 1864, and the Benevolent and Protective Order of Elks in 1868. But the popularity of lodges rose dramatically in the 1890s and peaked just before World War I. This can likely be attributed to the economic and social benefits offered with membership in some of the lodges. Many of the orders were established as a manner of providing health insurance or death benefits to those who could not be insured or could not afford the premiums of a commercial insurance company. The Modern Woodmen of America, or MWA, created in Iowa in 1883 by Joseph Cullen Root, is a primary example of a fraternal benefit organization. Root's vision was a nationwide chain of camps linked with a common goal of providing a recreational fraternity that also relieved the financial burden on a member's family upon his death. In essence, a life insurance policy was the ultimate benefit but the camaraderie of the camps would be another attraction. The MWA grew slowly, but their fate changed drastically when a little-known attorney from Greenville, Illinois, named William A. Northcott, was elected the organization's head consul in 1890. One of the first challenges that Northcott tried to tackle was the organization's lackluster membership. He felt that the MWA needed something to entice new members beyond the insurance benefits. 
Northcott consulted another Greenville man, Ed Desmoulins, who was a photographer by trade, but also a crafty inventor, who had already received a patent on a trick photography camera attachment. Desmoulins conferred with his brothers Erastus and U.S., and the trio concluded that the Woodman needed more humorous rites of initiation for its prospective members. Ed, blessed with a quirky sense of humor to complement his inventiveness, devised the molten lead test that a new member was told he must pass in order to gain acceptance by his fellow woodmen. A pot resting on a tripod above an alcohol stove gave the impression that the poor fellow would be placing his hand to a boiling brew. In reality, dry mercury powder was sprinkled into cold water to give the illusion of bubbling hot lead. Sensing he had stumbled upon a potential commercial venture, Ed opened a lodge and fraternal paraphernalia business. With Northcott as a silent partner and backed with the business savvy of U.S. and blacksmithing skills of Erastus, Ed Desmoulins' business soon cornered the market of the modern woodmen of America. The molten lead test was followed by bucking goats, lung testers, surprise chairs, and paddle machines. The Desmoulins accumulated patents on dozens of initiation devices, and their growth coincided with that of the MWA. Under Northcott's tenure as the Woodman's head counsel, the group saw its membership explode from 40,000 to 600,000. Noting the success of the modern Woodman of America, other lodges began incorporating these crazy initiation practices, and Desmoulins brothers catered to their needs. There is no evidence Masonic lodges used such informal and unapproved initiation pranks. The goat became so synonymous with the Desmoulins company that it is often referred to as the goat factory. The goat originated from a game in which a blindfolded man would ride a rail held on the shoulders of two men. The Desmoulins goat consisted of a wool body that resembled the animal, complete with authentic horns attached to a three-wheeled carriage system. The candidate would be blindfolded and placed on the goat. A lodge member would then push the contraption until the rider was tossed onto the ground. The carriage was built in a manner to create a swaying motion, ensuring the rider a short trip. Eventually, the Demolin stable contained an array of goats with titles like the Royal Bumper, a Lowdown Buck, and the Rollicking Mustang Goat. The carriage system, depending on the desired ride, could have anywhere from two to five wheels. The goal was to create a memorable experience for the new member and big laughs for the brothers administering the initiations. Keeping this in mind, the Demolin brothers looked for ways to bruise, shock, startle, or soak the victim. The trick bottom chair was a collapsible chair that fired off a blank cartridge when it hit the ground. The lung tester was presented as a way to measure the lung capacity of the new member. However, when he blew into the device, a 32 caliber blank exploded and flour was shot into his face through a hole in the dial. A candidate asked to test his strength, but it actually encountered the Desmoulins invisible paddle machine, which released a paddle that swatted his behind, triggered a blank cartridge, and discharged water in his face. Any of these initiations would certainly have made a Lodge member's first night memorable. Although this may sound like a cruel way to have a laugh at someone else's expense, it does reflect the sensibilities of a different era. The sting of initiation was soon forgotten when the new member could join his fellow woodmen in subjecting the next recruit to the same gauntlet. The popularity of the initiations was boosted by the secrecy surrounding them. Members were expected to leave the details of their fellowship behind lodge doors, which no doubt prompted other curious gents to join. The lodges allowed men of all ages and backgrounds to gather and share a common experience. The membership roster might include the mayor, the druggist, the local newspaper editor, and a common wage earner. They could talk about the news of the day and then proceed to watch a fellow member fall off a demoline goat. 
Damoline Brothers was not the only company to manufacture Lodge and fraternal paraphernalia. Their competitors included Pettibone of Cincinnati, Ohio, Whitehead and Hogue of Newark, New Jersey, Ward and Stilson of New London, and the M.C. Lilly Company of Columbus, Ohio. Each had a specialty and owned a chunk of the Lodge market. Only Damoulin, however, has survived due strictly to its ability to adapt to the changing marketplace. In the years following, Damoulin Brothers shifted its focus to church furniture, graduation caps and gowns, and band uniforms. They are still one of the nation's foremost manufacturers of band uniforms, serving colleges and high schools around the world. In today's litigious climate, the fraternal initiation practices of 100 years ago could never survive. Most lodges would never even attempt them with a cloud of lawsuits hanging over every other goat ride. An argument could be made that today's society is too sophisticated for lung testers and paddle machines, and perhaps we take ourselves too seriously to see the humor and blasting flower in someone's face. But wouldn't it be worth a one-night visit, courtesy of H.G. Wells' time machine, to see how much fun the Lodge brothers were having back then? Back then, they thought there was no better bond among men than a bruised ego and a tailbone, courtesy of a bucking goat. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and Lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.